We gonna get it, yeah, we bout to ride NW to the day that we die Millennials and you know we a vibe Keenan the host and you know he the guy If you don't have time, you can listen on the go Listen to the podcast on your drive home You can watch the podcast right on your phone It'll keep your interest like a bank We keep it real, it's nothing less Always stay humble, they wanna flex Gotta thank God, know that we blessed Never gonna quit, life is a test Millennials versus the world Millennials versus the world Millennials versus the world Millennials versus the world What up good people man Welcome back to another show of Millennials versus the world It's your boy K.Mims The only spot you get authenticity and entertainment at the same time I got two dope brothers with me man Super willing Doing super great things in the area man Really appreciate y'all coming on. Thank you for being here. No, thank, thank you for man. having us. We appreciate it. For sure, for sure. So I'm a, what I want to do first is, for people that don't know, kind of tell us the upbringing a little bit about Forest Therapeutics and tell us you know, where it came from, where it's at. But give us a little background on everybody before we get into the conversation of mental health. Sure, not a problem. My name is Brian Sutton, and I'm one of the co-owners and co-founders of Forest Therapeutics with my younger brother, Lakeith Sutton. I'm going to let him introduce himself. But we're two black men who grew up in southeast D.C. in Section 8 housing. We took two different routes in order to go into mental health therapy. I'm a licensed professional counselor. He's a licensed clinical social worker. And what it is is that we noticed that in our journey of growth in order to become professional mental health providers, there's not a lot of black men, let alone Facts. a lot of black people in mental health Facts. altogether. So what we did was we went out, educated ourselves, and now we're trying to bring it back to the community in which we come from because we see value in our community, yeah. but also we notice that our community is the one that needs it the most. And yeah. they're the ones who are often forgotten about or cast to the side. And we want to kind of put a face that looks familiar to those who come from where we come from yeah. in the mental health space. Beautiful. Wow, now I got to follow I know, bro. I know, bro. <laughs> I know, bro. That was, that's tough, bro. I'm glad it ain't me. Well, <laughs> well look, as my uh, older brother, as my elder brother eloquently put, my name is Lakeith Sutton. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And I was coming into practice to a certain extent. It was just fate, and it was Kesma. And the reason why I say that is nope. because we ended up at the same point taking two completely separate paths without really discussing each other until those paths intersected. By that, what I mean is this. Brian graduated high school, went to college, then went into the military, started mm-hmm. a beautiful family. I just went straight through high school, straight through college, uh, went to undergrad at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, then moved up to Philly to do graduate school at Temple University. Okay. And I'll never forget that because it intersected, as you mentioned, where we grew up in Southeast on Ridge Road. It intersected in all places our mother's living room. Yeah, right? sure yeah, so he was stationed at the time in North Carolina, but he was up here and he was visiting. And okay. I was back in town. I think at that time maybe I had moved back and I was living with uh, our father. And we just kind of crossed past in our mother's living room. And he approached me and said, hey, you know, mom mentioned that you're actually graduating with your master's in social work. What are you going to do with that? I said, oh, well, I've taken the clinical track. I'm going to become a therapist. He's like, really? He's like, I'm getting my master's in psychology. And, and I don't know what it was. It was like in that interaction, it just kind of seemed like, okay, somehow or another, this is going to intersect some way. For sure. Something's going to be done with it. And fast forward, because I think that conversation was probably like in 2014. Maybe. Fast forward to like 2019, over the course of those years, just talking to each other, living lives, getting a bunch of experience underneath our belt, both professionally and personally, it led to the creation of Forest Therapeutics. Mm. And the funny thing is, again, the reason why it was fate, 
both of us, unbeknownst to us, over the course of that time, had really taken ownership of our blackness. Oh, that's Understanding our culture, understanding our history. That's what's up. Uh, and wanting to put that Very much. at the forefront of whatever it was that we were going to do as far as like servicing the community, uh, whatever work that we were going to do. And so when we started sitting down, we really started talking. It just kind of, it just flowed. Don't get me wrong. You always have a natural rapport with your siblings. Mm. But I would say what really made this click was the fact that Again, we developed the same type of ideology separate from each other. Me and yeah. my brother have always been close, but we've also been very independent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's always done his thing. I've always done my thing. Sure. And it's always been the case of checking in with each other. Mm-hmm. So to kind of see once we got to a place where our lives were a little bit more settled, we were a lot more focused for us to sit down and have these dialogues about our experiences, mm-hmm. how much aligned our thinking and our views were. And this partnership has been nothing short of, in my opinion, a blessing and a miracle. Yeah, yeah. sure. He's yeah. not lying. It really did. Um, one, I don't know if anybody ever seen our website, but you should go take a look at our website at <laughs> forestherapeutic.org. <laughs> okay, but, yeah. But uh, black, black, we black, black. black. For sure. <laughs> like, for we, sure. No, I love it, bro. I love real it. real black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For <laughs> sure. Because, you, and you know, and to tap into that, a lot of people think it's bad tapping into that because they think that limits where you can go, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It just lets others know that I'm prioritizing my people, but if I got it, because I learned this, learning my blackness. Like, you know the thing around black business, if you say black mental health, to exterior factors, Mm. that puts a little asterisk by you sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when I meet people that's willing to step into it and know that they're here to do said thing, because this is another thing about it. When you really create and change like you all are, you don't always get the credit on the front end. Mm-hmm. It takes some time for people to realize, like, nah, they creating waves. Everybody don't see that at the beginning. So major salute to that. But what made you all individually, because I know y'all were, made you all step into that and like, nah, our community got to get this. Because everybody don't go that route. I got you. And honestly, you, you put up an interesting point. I'll go back to it. But we saw the value in our community. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking, it made me think about other races see more value in the black community than black facts. people sometimes. That's like facts, Koreans come in, they set up shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, other Asian cultures come in, they set up uh, carryouts. Everybody's always marketing towards black dollars. For and sure. when me and him started, I can't tell you, like, several people and mentors who, when we said, hey, we're going to create our own private practice and we're going to specifically target black people we want to work with black people we were being told you're not going to make any money you're not going to make it xyz and a third and we would it was crazy and they are (laughs) they are so wrong yeah yeah yeah. but um we were told all these things and we just double triple down and stood 10 toes down on like no whether we make a a million dollars or six figures we were just trying to help out because I always say this, money's not the bottom line. Taking care of black people is the bottom line, but For we sure. don't want to be poor. So we we went in <laughs> not there. Not as real. Yeah, we went yeah, in there with a certain mindset as well. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, so we'll set our prices to be able to help out these people. Mm-hmm. We'll do what we got to do. And, no, we were, those people were wrong. I tell yeah. them all the time, other people see value in us. We just don't see it in ourselves. For sure. Now, to your question of how do we end up coming together to do it um, mm-hmm. as, as two brothers in a partnership, Like Keith said with the story, we were on two separate paths with the same common goal Mm -hmm. because we always embrace being black unapologetically. Mm -hmm. And one day, we literally, I texted him, I said, we should just go ahead and just start our practice. And he was like, okay, cool. And I was like, we need to come up with a name. 
he actually came up with the name. He sent the whole list of names, yeah. and I was like, I like that one. I like four. Yeah, yeah. Because the reason why it's like that is because we want people when you go. It's literally crafted by me and him yeah. for us as That's a community. Dope. Yeah. After that. We went ahead and did all the paperwork to get our LLCs, our EINs, mm-hmm. our business accounts, and then we just went from there. We started it up for the sheer fact that we know that this was our purpose for and sure. our calling, and we just went ahead and embraced it. But that's how we kind of came together to build mm-hmm. it up. It was more so we had talked about it before, and then one day it was like, let's just get it started. So, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Uh, all right. So before we tap into, like, the mental health aspect and things mm-hmm. like that, I want to kind of get into – you all's challenges, maybe when you were, uh, you know, adolescent, maybe now as an adult, kind of your mental health challenges before mm. you got became the professionals that you see now that you ain't seen yeah. when you was going through. But you know, yeah. that's important because it is when you have professionals that been through that type, you know, whatever experiences, and they got through it, and now they're they're the professional. Mm. That makes you relatable. So, what were kind of the things that you all experienced? Younger, older, don't really matter, but just some challenges y'all experienced. Oh, that could be an episode all into itself. I think that's true for everybody. Um, yeah. The one thing I will say is this. Well, one out of the two of us, I remember more about us being kids than my brother does. Brian is mm-hmm. brilliant. He's always te- constantly learning. But I think in the process of learning, he also kind of throws certain things out. As yeah, you got <laughs> yeah. to make space. Yeah, yeah. No, I want you to. I want you to. You got to make space. So I, I brained up some stuff. Yeah. But um, I will say, and um, before I, I preface this, I won't go into too much detail because I – always want to honor our parents and respect their For sure, absolutely. But when me and Brian were growing up, it was a very interesting situation because when me and Brian came into the world, unfortunately, that's around the time our parents' marriage was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of things going on during that time. Not that we blame them for anything, but for the reality of the situation is divorces are hard. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of witnessing that and experiencing that and them doing their best to really support us through that, mm-hmm. it still left a lot of questions about a lot of different things. Like, I will say for me, that experience really kind of got me into the mindset or the curiosity of, like, how do people become the way that they are? Oh, yeah, for because sure. I couldn't mm-hmm. fully rationalize or understand what was playing out in front of my eyes, but I knew there was a purpose behind it. Yeah. And so that always kind of left this space in my mind of, like, okay, so what does it mean to understand people and put them in context? Context yeah. is a very important word to me. Context is a very important component to mental health because it gives you the idea of, not even the idea, it gives you the knowledge of what it is that a person sees themselves as and how they see the world and how they experience it. For sure. Mm -hmm. So that transcended into going to college, and college was going to be a case of I was going to become a political scientist. I was going to become a politician. I was going to fix a lot of the problems going on in the city. But what ended up happening was um, over the course of being an undergrad, and I'm glad I went to college, I got exposed to different classes. And particularly, mm-hmm. a class I got exposed to was Introduction to African American Studies. Yes, sir. Right? That do it right so there. Yeah. I took that class, and I was just like, I already knew so much about our culture because we had such a strong mother who was really big on black culture and a strong grandmother who was really big on black culture. Very sure. Yeah. I already knew a lot of it, but it took it a little bit deeper because what it forced me to do is co- really forced me to kind of critically think. And it gave me the context that I needed, as in like some of the issues that we saw in our community, even some mm-hmm. of the issues we saw in our household mm-hmm. were very systemic. Yeah. As in society played a part in it with the policies that are put in place, uh, discrimination that may have supported, sure. how it always trickled down. And then it led to more so, like, I wanted to understand the interpersonal level. For sure. So that's how the clinical work, our therapy got involved. Because I wanted to understand on a one-on-one basis, how do people become the way that they are and deal with mm-hmm. things the way that they do? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, take it one step further as far as, like, well, how do we help them function in a manner to where as though they can experience in the world 
in a way that is stress-free. For sure. That's liberating. For sure. That's empowering. That yeah. allows them to move forward and, if possible, create some type of meaningful change to those around us. Because one of the biggest things I'm a firm believer is, as the privilege of being a therapist is, you have the ability to liberate people. Yeah. And in turn, at minimum, the hope is that they go forth and liberate someone else. For sure. For sure, for sure. Dope. So, to piggyback on that, because uh, I'm glad you asked that question, because it's, it's good for people to know what you've overcome in order for you to be more relatable. For sure. I did go into mental health studying it because I wanted to get a journey of healing or, you know, self-growth. Because some of the things I had to overcome with was uh, anger, um, aggression, uh, depression, a little bit of anxiety. Those are the main ones. And because, like, when I was younger, I was... I was out here trying to rip and run these streets like yeah, everybody yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> like that, for sure. Like, yeah. To, to give it context, right? Yeah. And this isn't talking bad about anybody. Me and Keith literally grew up in Section A housing mm-hmm. in Southeast off of Ridge Road, 18 Anacostia Road and 318 Ridge Road. Yeah. Whenever I talk to people who are looking for therapy and they ask, where did you grow up at? I always tell them, if you look at that open field when you go up Ridge Road, yes, there's a whole open field right there. Everybody know where it's at. Then there's yeah. a little alley that divides the people who own their houses from the Section A houses, right? Sure. We lived in that second house from that alley right there in 318 Ridge Road. Oh, yeah. And then so... I was always trying to, you know, be outside doing hood rat stuff with my hood rat friends. (laughs) So to give it context, and this isn't talking about anybody. It's just how I used to think when I was younger. When I I was younger and we lived in D.C., if you lived in Maryland or Virginia, I thought you were rich. I thought you you lived in the suburbs. I thought you was rich because you had your own house. That was my mindset at the time. So... Any anything that was outside of the city, outside of poverty, I I thought that it was sweet, that yeah. it was easy, that yeah. the life was good for you, right? Yeah, you know. And of course, I heard about all these different hoods, like you know, District Heights, Temple Hills, and all that stuff. But in my head, I'm like, y'all own your house. Yeah, I don't care how you shape it, cut it, <laughs> spell it. You own your house. So these are some of the things that I had to overcome in my head. Because what comes with that mindset is a certain level of aggression. You mm-hmm. know, like we're all men in this room. Sure. I can only say but so many disrespectful things to you before potential furniture starts. Yeah, moving, that's right? yeah, yeah. Exactly. For sure. Now that threshold for when the furniture can move is gonna it's gonna vary for different people, right? Yeah. Like some people is it's real small, some people is real wide. Yeah. So these are some of the mindsets that I had to overcome. And then throughout that journey of going to school and when you learn the type of things that traumatize people that can cause depression or stress on the family, sure. when I learned that it was violent neighborhoods that have lack of resources um, that are receiving government aid. I was like, oh, that's my entire upbringing. Mm. That's literally everywhere that we were. Good Hundreds of people yeah. that we know. So hearing gunshots and hearing sirens, that's not supposed to be normal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's It's normal for us, but it's not supposed to be. And that contributes to your overall mental health. So what happens is as we learn and as we grow, or as I learned and as I grew, I realized that a lot of the situations that black people are faced with, the mental health disorders or mental health issues that they come across, for instance, the inability to express their emotions or for men to hyperly express anger as opposed to sadness and depression, it's literally just surviving mechanisms. Yeah, for sure. They're our ability to survive from the environment that we went into. And one thing that I do appreciate about millennial generations in Ford is that they're willing to see mental health therapy because when all you know is survival, when you become an adult and transition into the business world, you still take some of those things with you. 
and you still don't know how to turn it off sometimes. So you yeah. suppress it, but then you take it back home and you take it out on the family or you create your own chaos there. So we took, well, I took all of that information and I decided that I wanted to go back and try to help as many people as I could because in my mind, there's no point of you obtaining self-knowledge and growth and not giving it back. For sure. So, yeah. For sure. So, before we get into social media, before we get into the... <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to ask a question that you made me think about when I heard about black men taking their anger, their emotion, their aggression out into the world. Mm-hmm. Buzz conversation right now is like men's sensitivity, a man being too emotional, not being <laughs> emotional enough. Where do you all feel like that threshold... I know it's different from everybody, but like, is that a thing for men to be too emotional or too? I know too emotionless, yes, but like, where does that threshold stop for men as far as emotion? I think that's. Oh, you want to answer? The only thing I was going to say was taking out the clinical spirit and more so into social spirit. When you are a man, the only person who defines you is you. Right. So mm-hmm. you get to decide what is too much emotion, what is not enough emotion. And the issue I always have with these type of conversations, the discourse with it, it doesn't lead to a resolution. It's just mm-hmm. more so people blowing off steam, talking mm-hmm. about their frustration, about mm-hmm. what they've experienced in their dating life, or what it is they're trying to work out within themselves internally, whether that is the man himself talking about what other men should be, or whether that's women telling men what they should be. Yeah. I think it's just a case of one of those, it becomes a dialogue that's not really constructive. Sure. And then also it becomes a case of once again, once again, black people putting being put into boxes. But this particular go around, it's not necessarily white people putting us in boxes. It's us putting each other in boxes. Yeah. As in, imagine me telling you, you're not man enough. Facts, though. Like no, I feel that. Yeah. That's a problem. So it's yeah. a case of one of the issues that we have in these type of conversations is the fact that we're not giving people enough space just to kind of show up as themselves and yeah. realize that, look, there's somebody for everybody. So if it's a situation where you have someone who's overly aggressive, okay, then maybe there's someone who actually likes being with someone who's overly aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. when we have these conversations about manhood, it really is more so kind of centered and rooted in the gaze of women. Right, mm-hmm. as in like that's well, fact, a though. woman doesn't want to be with a sensitive, a too sensitive man. That's yeah. just, that's just you can say like, sensitive ass man. Sensitive <laughs> ass man right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gaze of uh, women, but we never kind of leave a space to say like, well, look, if we're looking at it through that particular lens, which is just one lens, it's a case of there is a woman for every single man, there's a partner for every single man, and for us to get into these conversations about who's man enough, who's not man enough, is counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't really into really any meaningful healing or any uh, meaningful resolution, except for now we just came away from this conversation with people feeling more anger or feeling more frustration. Wholeheartedly agree. I think that it's a there's a an individual way of looking at too sensitive, like you as a person, and then we have a cultural societal way of looking at it, right? Because yeah. how we look at how we look at the world mm-hmm. is defined by the groups we identify with. Like for instance. People underestimate the layers of who you are, your identity. Being an American, being black in America, being a black American versus being African in American versus being a man, and then the community you grew up in, right? So what's too sensitive is going to be viewed under all those lenses. And to what Keith was saying is that the end goal should be, well, what is your end goal by giving it that definition? Are you trying to put a cap on that person's level of sensitivity? And if you are, where is that cap at? Because it's going to be subjective again. So I'm of the mindset that 
if you as an individual, when, when you come to therapy, no, you're not too sensitive. You're, mm-hmm. you're expressing yourself. For sure. You're, we're creating an environment for you to be your authentic self to share where you're coming from because as a man, men tend to be stifled in what they can express. It's limited to anger or rage, one sure. or the other. Most people say, hey, man, stop crying, be a man about it. I can understand where that's coming from for the sheer fact that as men, you know, we're supposed to be providers and protectors. And I look at it as when you are the leader and you're the man of your house, if you break, everybody else in the house tends to panic. So I can respect the mindset of, you know, you got to be strong that's for the family. Yeah. yeah, But that don't mean you don't get to go into your man cave. You don't get to go in Factual. your car yeah. and just let it all out because you're still human. Or you and your wife go somewhere separate and you vent those things out to her. That's why I say that too sensitive is going to be how you define it, but also how we as a collective define it. So is it possible for a man to be too sensitive? I'm going to say it just depends on which lens you're looking at it in because if someone is intentionally trying to hurt you, this is just an example, Mm -hmm. I would tell you don't give them the benefit of your tears. For sure. You know, starve them of the reaction that they're looking for, right? Whereas someone else may let it out right then and there, and then someone may call them too sensitive or mm-hmm. you're being a baby or things like that. So you can forgo that mm-hmm. by, you know, keeping it in and then going somewhere else private to let it out. I always um, teach certain people in family counseling or couples therapy that, you know, you got to be able to cry like a man. The reason why I say that is because I would never tell nobody, don't let it out. I sure. always tell people what I said earlier. If you are a man and you need to express yourself and you don't want to do it in front of people around your family because I can understand that mindset of, you know, we don't do that in front of our family, go somewhere private. For sure. You know, let it out. Express yourself. There's power in labeling what you're feeling. If you are hurt, you got to be able to say it. Nah, that hurt me. For sure. My feelings are hurt. I'm sad about it. The reason why you want to say that is the emotions you don't let out now will bleed all over your loved ones. For sure. And usually that bleeding comes by way of anger, violence, Wrath, cheating, you'll break your whole family up by not letting it out. For sure. Excuse me, say, is everything good with that game? Yeah. Oh, all right. So, I, so I wanted to add. I, I'm in transparency. Why I asked about the sensitivity? I was the sensitive. I'm, a, I'm one. I'm the second of four brothers, and me and my older brother grew up in the same household. Me, my two younger brothers grew up in the same household. And I was sensitive, but when I went, I realized I was just triggered a lot. Like, people would say things, and mm-hmm. I would lash out yeah. based off this said thing. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, obviously we didn't know what triggers was, and we didn't know, you know, what set each other off and stuff like that. But then it was funny when I went and did what I had to do with myself, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really triggered by the same things no more. Now I don't care. Right. Now I'm not sensitive. Now I don't care. And I'm like. But look at how you labeled it. That was, I like your example, right? You said that you being triggered was being viewed as sensitive. That, just, that depends on the, con- like Keith said, context is important. For sure. What things were triggering you to make you appear, air quotes, sensitive? Because, yeah. um, like I said, there's only but so much disrespect you're going to take. That's a fact. <laughs> so, like, yeah. if you calling yeah. me out my name or you, you doing things jokingly, yeah, I'm yeah. not in the mood. I'm using your example. Am I being sensitive or are you pushing my buttons the wrong way? For sure. Way? Because Absolutely. the best example I could think of, when I was in the Army, they used to make jokes about each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, because uh, white people joke differently than black people, in my experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah, mine too. They talk about <laughs> kids and they talk about wives. When I was in the Army, I made that point clear. I was like, you can say whatever you want about me. Um, but if you talk about my wife at the time or my kid, I, I could care less what rank you are. Yeah. I could care less how long you've been, been here. If you talk about either one of them, me and you are going to have a real problem. 
you could easily, and within the context of that culture, you could have looked at me and been like, well, you're being sensitive. I looked at that and said, no, that's my stopping point right there. You can call it whatever you want. Facts. But I'm telling you right now, if you disrespect my wife or my child verbally or physically or any spiritually or any other way, we're going to have a problem. So using that back to your example, it depends on the context. And I like your example because it's like, were you being sensitive or were they pushing your buttons too far? Yeah, to for where sure. Just because it wouldn't bother them, it don't mean it's not going to bother you because it could have been a real sensitive topic. Yeah, for That's sure. why I say it just depends on how the person is measuring what's too sensitive. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this before, which is another thing I've experienced now, and I want to get you all's opinion on this. I feel like only therapy and God, spirituality, can do this. Like, you become Amen. more sure of yourself. Amen. Like, people can't. Like you just can't tell me anything no more. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. Like I'm not. I'm going. I'm. I'm in. T- my philosophy is I'm entitled to three questions if you tell me something. Because mm-hmm. in that three, I feel like I could figure out the gist of where we're going with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure of myself. Certain things I can say. Oh no, I'm not doing that. Like that ain't going to service me. So I know I'm not doing that. Right. And people take it a certain way. So in you all's experience, whether it's professional to you know community or to each yourselves, how much have you seen when someone comes? sure of themselves because I think we called it being the weirdo mm-hmm. before like right. yeah. when you're sure of yourself mm-hmm. how much does that disrupt um, not culture but like structure in certain relationships and certain dynamics let me get this one since he used the, the weirdo line Okay. And I'll let you finish it. All right, all right. So in context, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let's do context. Nah, nah, you know, you're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I, in context, what we what he's referencing is early is that when you go to therapy in your family yeah. and you start to get healed, your yeah. family operates in a certain manner. But when you go to therapy and you go through the healing journey, you start to disrupt that manner because you see all the the ways in which that they operate was impacting you both positively and negatively. So your family starts to treat you like a weirdo, like, why are you acting like this? And it's not that you're being weird or anything. It's more so that you've gone through the healing or you're going through the healing process to where you see the issues. So now you're disrupting that pattern of using his example. Like, are you being sensitive? I'm not being sensitive. I just don't like when you do that. So let's, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. So to your question of, um, I lost track. What was the question? Uh, Explain the context. Um, and your experience. Say again. Yeah, like yeah. when you become sure of yourself, how much does it disrupt relationships? Oh, family, got and, you. Like, and how have y'all seen like somebody becoming sure of themselves and how it throws everything else off? Yeah, yeah. So as you become sure of yourself, it just depends on the nature of you and your family, right? Like, for instance, what do you? Are you in a relationship with just you and your partner? Or are you talking about when you're with your family? But I use those as examples because usually when it's you and your partner, right, mm-hmm. and you start healing, they see it and they recognize it, and they don't necessarily have an issue with it. They're mm-hmm. more so, in my experience, they're like, they're embracing it. Yeah. They like that you're becoming more aware. They like mm-hmm. that you're becoming more um, attuned to your inner self. When I say aware and attuned to your inner self, people think that when you go to therapy, your emotions tend to go away. It's not true. You actually become more aware of your Factual. emotions. Factual. But the, the beauty of it is you become more able to navigate mm-hmm. them. So, for instance, where things would have hurt you, you can recognize it as hurt, but then you know how to navigate that hurt like mm-hmm. you've never known before. Like, okay, I know what this is. I'm feeling pain. I'm feeling hurt. Or I'm feeling joy and I'm feeling happiness. I know how to navigate it. So you and your partner tend to be a little bit on the same wavelength. When it comes to families, it can be the same thing, Like especially if your family's supporting you to go. Mm-hmm. They can be like, I see the growth in you. That's good. Or if they don't support it or they didn't know, they're just going to start picking up that, you know, you're moving 
moving different. Yeah. You're acting different. Some people are going to embrace it. Some people are not going to embrace it. It yeah. just depends on what your family dynamic is. For sure. Yeah. Well, put it this way. Whenever we show up as our authentic selves, that's always a challenge to a system. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Factual. And most of the time uh, in situations where if a big chunk of the family isn't able to embrace you because you're showing up as your authentic self, it's usually a case of us trying to either make ourselves fit into a dysfunctional system, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when we show up and we're setting boundaries and we're telling people, you know, this really bothered me or mm-hmm. this was painful it's mm-hmm. a case of you're challenging that system mm-hmm. you're challenging Back. not just a system you're also challenging a family culture people's way of life if people have been able to navigate that system and conduct themselves in a certain manner when you show up and you challenge them by just being yourself mm-hmm. you're essentially telling them like okay the way that this worked is somewhat dysfunctional mm-hmm. And if it was functional, I probably would have carried it on. But because of the fact that I'm choosing to do things differently, it's kind of holding up this mirror to your face and say, like, Mm -hmm. okay, this particular way of existing or functioning or being in Mm -hmm. this group, in this family, it's not working. Or at least of all, it's not working for me. For sure. when you do that, that's when people start kind of feeling like, oh, maybe you think that you're better than us. Or just as hard you start telling them some truths that they don't want to face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As in, we grew up in an abusive household. Yeah. We don't mm-hmm. talk to each other well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't have health. It's when that real come out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. A lot of things have happened. Um, and when you do that and you present that, of course, it's like, well, you're being difficult or you're the weirdo or mm-hmm. you've gotten too high for your britches, whatever lingo term. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. You but think you're better than everybody. Yeah, man. yeah. Oh, I done got that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get that a but, lot. Yeah. But the reality situation is, is that even if you're just speaking for yourself. Because, mm-hmm. again, that system may work for everybody else, and that's wonderful if it does. Yeah. But when you're speaking for yourself and say, like, hey, that particular approach, that particular language, that way of communication, that does not work for me, we're going to be labeled a weirdo. But the yeah. thing, though, is this. If it's a situation where you go there and that is the way that they are perceiving you or mm-hmm. that is the way that you're being treated, it's a case of probably nine times out of ten what you're doing is pretty much standing up for yourself and letting them know, like, look, I yeah. can't do this with y'all in this particular way anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not for to sure. say I don't want to be a part of this family. Yeah. But if I'm going to be a part of this family, it has to be in a certain type of way. And if it can't be in a certain type of way, not that I'm going to abandon y'all, I'm going to excuse myself from a lot of things. Like, what good does it do me to go to a Thanksgiving dinner that's full of tension? Yeah, facts though. Nah, that's how I am. Nah, real, that's real. And y'all don't want to, and y'all want to make my spouse feel as though, like, they're just exactly. some stranger. Yeah. It's a case if you set those boundaries and we always hope and pray, because at the end of the day, the love has to shine through, that I hope and pray that our families get the messaging and say, like, okay, well, maybe we need to chill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we need to be more, a little bit more inclusive. For sure. Or maybe we need to be more mindful of this person as far as, like, how we uh, do things or say things to them when they come around. For sure. That's why I think love eventually will take over. It's just a case of you got to go through that rough patch of teaching people how to treat you. Yeah, and, that's, and Keith brought up a good point. That's literally why a lot of relatives, if you ever notice, like, those few aunts and uncles or even your family, they didn't want to go to Thanksgiving. Yep. Why you yep. don't want to go to Thanksgiving or Christmas? Like, for instance, kids get old enough to drive themselves. Hey, take your, your little brother with you and make sure you bring me back a plate. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's simple because they can't quite label it. Or maybe they can, depending on where they are. But mm-hmm. they just know, I don't feel like dealing with the drama at this Factual, get though. That's so real. He brought up a good point. That's one of those things where it's like, you know when something's off. Yes, you do. You do. You know, because you know you better than any therapist. I tell everybody, I know a lot about mental health. 
but I don't know everything about you. You're going to know more That's about real, you than bro. I, I like do. that. So you're going to go out and you there's going to come a point where you might go, I'm not about to come this Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, just not. Yeah. I, I don't know how to lay. I just don't like being around, you know, the gossip. Or yeah. Maybe they talking about me. You Sometimes you struggle with pinpointing, but you know that that space ain't the space for me to be in, so I don't want me to. For sure, for sure. And, and to that point, it's crazy. And, and this is actually a good segue into the social media piece of it. There's this therapist. I don't, I don't want to tear her name up. It's like Natasha, I want to say something. I, she has an African last name. I don't want to tear mm-hmm. it up. But she wrote this book called Set Boundaries, Found Peace. Mm-hmm. And when I read it, well, audio book, that still count. But like, it does. <laughs> but no, the, 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 I realized this too, going to therapy, reading that book. Communication don't always got to be extensive. We always Mm-mm. think, for me, let me not say we always think. I always just think you had to be real deep and articulate about everything. But some things as simple as like, nah, I'm okay on that. I don't, I, that, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. But it took a long time for me to realize, like, a lot of people think you're being short and, and rude, but you're really simplifying things that could get complicated mm-hmm. through multiple facets of communication. Yeah. Meaning, like, if let's use the Thanksgiving, because I've done that. Like, nah, I'm not going down there this year. And they asked, like, yeah, no, we're just going to kick it out the house. I prefer not to come this year, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the past, I was like, because, you know what I'm saying, such and such, like that, bye, 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 bye. And then it becomes about my energy on the phone versus me knowing what I feel, knowing why I'm not going, and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. I get in this long – I used to get in these long conversations about why I'm not there, mm-hmm. the family matters the most out of everybody, mm-hmm. and why you not, bye, bye, bye. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like – Okay, I love y'all, but mm-hmm. I'm still not coming. Exactly. And then I realized as I got older, to say like, now they're like, "Hey, y'all coming down this year?" <laughs> I let you know, but but I, I've come to some yeah. because I've come to the realization of that. The realization is that it's almost like a marriage because me and my wife went to therapy one time with families. If y'all all not willing to go in the ring and fight for this dynamic, mm-hmm. it gets harder and harder hmm. as you know these two people over here are growing. These people are anti. Mm-hmm growth yeah but if everybody's willing to get in their own little ring and battle their own little stuff it just makes everybody a little more understanding yeah. you know what i mean so um i said that to say like i found her on social media what are you all's opinion about social media the positive and negative how it influences us said way or influences this way what's y'all deal on that and how does it play into mental health i think that social media can be a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. for instance we all, I don't know if everybody's heard about the term doom scrolling, where all of a sudden you start scrolling for a little bit, then an hour go past, and you didn't check yeah, your TikTok, your yeah, Facebook, yeah, yeah. your Twitter, and, um, your Instagram, right? Yeah. I think that social media is could be a useful tool, but anything in excess can be bad for you. For sure. So it's also what you're feeding yourself. Like, for instance, uh, the Bible says you got to guard your gateways. Your gateways are your eyes and ears. Mm-hmm. Time is the currency of life. So whatever you spend your time doing, you're buying it for yourself. Mm. So what I mean is this is that if you're going to be on social media, right, it's all right to look at the ratchet stuff. It's all right to look at the world stars and all that stuff. I look at them too. There's nothing wrong with it. Mm. But at least fill your feed with something that's going to make you better as a person. For sure. Get some information that's going to help you out. That's the one thing I always like to say is that if you're going to do your time doing it, make it productive to a certain level of it. Then what also happens is the flip side of that is social media can create an unrealistic view of reality sometimes. Mm. Because on social media, you see all the goods and the highlights, right? So therefore, you don't see the pain and struggle on the back end for that person. But then also, we find ourselves in situations where at least I have when I help people on their healing journey is that they expect certain things because of social media. Like everybody wants 
you know, crazy. yeah, everybody wants a ten out of ten yeah. partner. They yeah. want to, they want to live the fast car life. Yeah, they, you know, they don't want to deal with these broke joints. Yeah, broke dudes, all this stuff. But yeah. then it's kind of like, well, that's not that's not necessarily how life's going to be. You're not going to see an Instagram model everywhere you go, even right. though they're everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. the people are like. I want a man that's going to pay for everything in the household. Yeah, that's in context if he can. But the reality of the economy these days, mm-hmm. that single uh, income household, Thank you. That it's, ain't a, yeah, it's over with. Yeah, yeah. I, I, everybody, those days <laughs> yeah. are gone. For real. The policies by politicians that have been written because of taxes and corporate kickbacks have literally tightened the belt of middle class and working class America. Those days are gone. It's a dual income lifestyle here moving forward. But that doesn't mean that you don't strive to try to achieve mm-hmm. retiring your partner but it's one of those things that social media creates they create and i think that's the word that i'm gonna stick with is it creates an expectation Mm -hmm. so therefore however you define that expectation whether it's realistic or unrealistic but as you scroll as i said before time is the currency of life and you're feeding yourself this information as you scroll and all you're looking at is a lifestyle a lifestyle that very few people have you're going to want that lifestyle. You're mm-hmm. going to think that, you know, everybody can get this lifestyle, but that's not the reality of For it. Sure. So it can be a blessing and a curse. If you're going to do it, use it to better yourself. If you're thinking about doing a business and graphic arts design for T-shirts, you should be following yeah. graphic arts designers. If, all you know, over the place. Yeah, yeah, mix it in with a little bit, you know, with, with all the other stuff that's going on. But use it to your benefit. But, yes, there are pros and cons to social media. But yeah. the cons, unfortunately... The cons can create a real mental health issue, not necessarily a disorder, because what happens is your reality gets distorted if you don't keep it in a healthy viewpoint. Oof. Bro, I agree with everything, bro. That's, 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 mm-hmm. it's crazy, but it's true. No, I was just going to say, social media, uh, that is such a nuance and complex thing. By that, what I mean is this. Uh, as he mentioned, it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, a blessing or a curse. One... I think social media speaks to a broader issue of our culture overall, as in Mm -hmm. one, we don't push critical thinking enough. Mm -hmm. So when people get on social media and they see certain things, they're not taking the time to actually maybe vet the person and vet the information. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, it's also a tool, so it also depends on how the user wants to use it. So for instance, how we may use a knife. If you use a knife, it could be a great tool for cutting up food. But also if you use a knife wrong, it could be a weapon of murder, right? Yeah. So it's also the users and what they're using it for. Um, it also is a case of context because one of the things about social media that I love and at the same time simultaneously hate <laughs> is the fact that I love that it introduced clients to different concepts as like, you know, I saw this YouTuber and they were talking about mindfulness and they have mm-hmm. a page where they're dedicated to medication. I mean, not med- meditation, not meditation. Meditation, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That medication, what kind <laughs> of medication? <laughs> exactly, right? But yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> meditation. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no, that's good. And then maybe I'll go, I'll, I'll always ask them, okay, well, you might send that to me because I'm going to check it out to make sure the is good mm-hmm. but then sometimes uh without the context they may get to a place where like maybe they're doing a little bit of self-diagnosing yeah. or they're using the mm-hmm. material to diagnose someone else one of the things mm-hmm. i see a lot on my social media is people engaging in conversations about being with a narcissist oh my god and i'm always right there man and i'm always a little leery because it yeah. gets to this place of uh 
diagnosing, which diagnosing this up, I'll be 100% honest, that's very political too. Yeah, But very. I'm also someone yeah. who does believe that there needs to be a measurement of trying to figure out what exactly it is that someone's seeing. Mm -hmm. So people may go on and talk about, well, my ex was a narcissist, and they'll list all of yeah. the symptoms mm -hmm. of a narcissist, but they're also mm -hmm. leaving out important context. For instance, when it comes to diagnosis, it's not just they have to meet this certain list of symptoms. We're also talking about duration of time. Yep. So, we're, so has this been going on for six months? Has this been going on for a year? Has this only been going on for a week? Uh, we're also thinking about severity, as in like mm -hmm. how bad did it get? Did it get to a point where someone was psychotic, and psychotic does not mean crazy. Psychotic just means someone's having to break from reality. That's doesn't awesome mean that they are dangerous yep. to you. It just means that they're not here in the space that we are. Oh, right? I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people get into this place of diagnosing themselves or diagnosing other people, and it becomes a little concerning because it's a case of, well, there's a lot of context that's missing. So also when people, another thing is like, well, self-diagnosing ADHD, um, using certain terms where like they're not using it incorrectly, but they're not using it getting the full scope of what that term means. Like, for instance, one of the buzzwords right now is neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. And that is an accurate term, but it's also having to correct people let them know, like, that's not a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That is a broad spectrum of people who think a certain type of way that may kind of put them in a position to where as though they could be diagnosed for having an intellectual disability or a neurocognitive disability. Mm -hmm. So social media, it exposes people to different mental health tools, mm -hmm. uh, mental health diagnosis, but if people aren't thinking about it critically and following up with the clinician or following mm -hmm. up with the psychiatrist to mm -hmm. get more information to give it context, it can also be one of those things where people run with it and it may do them more harm than good. Mm -hmm. As in like, well, I think I have ADHD. Okay, so what assessments have you done? Well, I took the self-assessment based off of this link that oh, someone put on YouTube, yeah. we'll put on no. um, Facebook, on yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Okay, so maybe we need to kind of get you in front of a clinical psychologist. Yeah. Or maybe we need to get you in front of someone licensed who could do that. So social media has done wonders for mental health as far as like giving the exposure, but mm -hmm. also it has also done a disservice to the broader public because it's not giving them the full context of how to actually diagnose or what an actual mm -hmm. diagnosis may be. And he brought up a good oh, point okay. real quick. Yeah, like no, no, please, no, bro. please be careful with uh, self-diagnosing yourself because there's a – one thing that Keith said is right. Diagnosing is political. It's it's very Eurocentric, which means whitewashed. Mm -hmm. So when they created certain diagnoses, they didn't take into account cultural context, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why you got to be careful. And the reason, the main reason why I say be careful when you self-diagnose yourself, you know when something's wrong, go talk to somebody. Go talk to somebody that can help you. Mm -hmm. But when you self-diagnose yourself, you're only going to look for the things that confirms what you think you have. Mm. Because there are things that bring you to therapy. They're called presenting issues. Those are the surface level issues. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that's the deep-rooted thing. Mm -hmm. That's why when it comes to mental health, to give a little bit of information, when we meet you, there's a provisional diagnosis. And that's if the therapist wants to give you a diagnosis mm -hmm. altogether. It's what we think that we're seeing, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it could actually be something else. Like, for instance, the the most basic example I can give is when you're angry, people think that anger is the... It's the primary thing. No, anger is usually secondary. It's sure. usually hurt. Yeah. You are angry because someone hurt your feelings, but yeah. it's manifesting as anger. Mm -hmm. So you can run around thinking that, oh, I have an anger issue. No, you might not have an anger issue. You might have an issue with you're getting hurt and you don't know how to express it That's in real. any other way other than anger. Yeah. Because you haven't had an opportunity to experience other emotions or learn ways to uh, let me sit and deal with this hurt so that's why i say be careful with like keith was saying be careful with self-diagnosing because you'll get tunnel vision and only look for the things that confirm 
your self-diagnosis. You got to be careful with that. And also avoid diagnosing other people. I yeah, can't don't, emphasize that enough. Yeah. It's one thing to misdiagnose yourself, but when you misdiagnose someone else, particularly let's say maybe a child, mm -hmm. that is a huge problem because you set them on a path to where as though they may be introduced to services or medication For sure. that mm -hmm. they don't need to. I think my child has ADHD. Well, are you going to get them tested to, con to confirm that? Yeah. Uh, well, no, but I, I see them. They're hyper. It's like... No. They're six years old. Exactly. Yeah. They're supposed they, to be There's always an exuberance of energy. I agree. They are. They are like, supposed like, to be And they don't listen. Kids. They're also in the age where they're also trying to be defined because they're also trying to uh, create their own identity and test some boundaries. Yeah. So it's a case of getting context as far as like what it is that you're seeing in another person and making sure that you know you have the proper tools or spoken to the proper people to give a diagnosis because Correct. when you mislabel someone else you may put them on a trajectory that is actually going to do them more harm even though you think that it's actually doing good yeah the yeah. power of labeling is so real in that example he gave like you got to be careful what you're speaking to your children you For tell sure. them like oh you know you have adhd and they don't they're going to walk around thinking that and then every time they get an opportunity to take a test or to do something that relates to academia all they're going to think to themselves is well, I'm ADHD, and that might not even be true. That's facts. Like you're, if the same thing, you could walk around telling the child that nah, you're one of the smartest kids in the class. They've done tests to show that yes, the child will outperform or overperform because their belief system. Yeah. So you got to be careful what you speak, not only into your children but into yourself. Facts. You got to be careful with that. Facts. Facts. And I'm an educator, so I definitely get, I definitely see that in. But I want to ask a question about something you said. Mm -hmm. When you were like, um, you started it and then you piggybacked. You said how diagnosing is very political and you double back mm -hmm. and said yes because it didn't take like cultural aspects in mm -hmm. it, into consideration. So what are you all's thoughts, if you can't answer this, mm -hmm. about seeing a therapist that doesn't look like you? I think that it's... Or have doesn't like you or share the same experiences as you because that's enough. all kind of in the cultural context of things. I would always tell everybody, research your therapist, get mm -hmm. to know them. If, you, if they don't look like you, but they're... You're going to them for a specialty. You know, get to know your therapist, look at their pages, things like that. I think that it can help, but I'm never going to not acknowledge the different experiences, right? Like mm. me and Keith, well, I don't want to speak for you, little brother, but I'm assuming that he had the same experience where I've had clients come to me to go, i seen a white therapist. They were okay, but there are certain things that they just couldn't understand, right? Mm -hmm. That is a real thing. That mm -hmm. is a, definitely a real thing. So I think that you could still see them to get help. But if they're not clicking with you, don't give up on it. Mm -hmm. Go find somebody else. To the other part of your, your question is I think that you should try to look for a therapist that looks like you, you know, in, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's why me and Keith are here because we noticed there weren't a lot of black therapists, let alone black male therapists. Facts. Because there are certain things that we don't necessarily have to go over too far. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, I get, I love all my uh, clients that I help. I get a lot of clients that uh, live a certain lifestyle, like, yeah. ripping, like ripping and running these streets. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. You got to go into a lot of detail yeah, about yeah. certain things, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I used to do, yeah, well, yeah. Like, all right, please do not tell me about any felonious yeah, activities, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But I get where you're coming from. Those are the, And we laugh about it, but it builds that connection. For sure. So it's kind of sure. like. I can see where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I get where you're coming from. I will tell you this. Look for one that looks like you. But don't be disillusioned or dissuaded from looking for therapists that don't look like you. Because if you need help, get the help. For Work sure. with what you have, not with what you hope for. Or if you find a therapist you like, get on their wait list. Get on their wait list. Follow up with them. See if they got some openings, okay? Because... It's a real thing. We're not going to yeah. ignore it. We're not going to gloss over it. Because mm -hmm. going back to what we had said, like, 
diagnosing is political and it's done under a cultural lens. Like, for instance, most people don't know this, um, is that when black people are committed by the police to do an intake process, long story short is if you get pulled over and they're about to commit you to what you most people would think is a psychiatric ward, black people are statistically hired to be misdiagnosed in that moment with paranoid schizophrenia. And wow. the reason why is because, to give it context, police and even the nursing staff, when they admit them, they often look at them and go, well, he's being paranoid. Why is he acting this way? It's the police. Why is he worried about the police, right? Well, look at it in context. We get pulled over as black <laughs> men. Life, man, it's, it's a life or death situation yeah, over a facts. traffic ticket, right? Yeah. So, of course, we're not trusting mm-hmm. of police. Of course, we're not trusting of the hospital staff that don't look like us. Like, I got pulled over or I'm being stopped. Now I'm at a hospital about to be committed to inpatient treatment against my will. Of course I'm a little lyrious and paranoid because I don't know how this is going to go. Those are some of the contexts that come into play. That's why you, I always say, look for a therapist that looks like you, but work with what you have, not with what you got, Mm -hmm. and then try to get on their wait list because that context does matter. Because if you get pulled over by, like, a black officer, mm-hmm. there are certain things that a black officer may say to you that a white one's not going to say, like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, all right, bro, chill. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah, that's little, facts, though. You're doing a little bit too much. You want yeah. you want to go? To, you want this ticket or you want to go home? Which one it is? Yeah. I'm not about to be out here all night arguing with you. No, that's facts. You know. That's facts. Well, I will say this. Um, let me just say this. Any licensed mental health professional can provide mental health services to anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that being said, though, mm-hmm. a little is, closer to the mic for me. Oh, sure. With that being said, though, there is a case of for people they want to have someone to where so they can invest in mm-hmm. on a personal level. And one of the ways that we invest in our clinicians when we're working with them is having some sort of like identification with them. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a reason why you may see women wanting to work with a female clinician. Correct. Right? And it's a situation where you're going to probably see some black people wanting to work with uh, black clinicians, or you're going to want to see uh, some gay clients wanting to work with like a gay clinician. It's because mm-hmm. it's that lived experience to where it's the, like, okay, I feel comfortable enough to where so I can come as myself, and there's a certain dialogue that we can have. For sure. Because we understand the certain experience of being this particular group or this particular population mm-hmm. that makes me feel more connected to you, which in turn allows me to kind of buy into the therapeutic experience. If it's a situation sure. where I show up and I'm concerned about your ability to understand my cultural experience or my cultural mm-hmm. identity, it's going to make it very difficult for me to buy into the services. Or for it's sure. going to take you a long time as a clinician to make to get me to a place where I actually buy into what it is that you're offering. Yeah, for sure. So it is a case of self-identification uh, is a big component as far as like finding a clinician. The number of, gosh, the number of parents that we get that reach out to us as far as like, well, I have a black son and mm-hmm. it's important or it's imperative. I need him to have a black male's perspective in the behavioral health mm-hmm. world to kind of help them and guide them yeah. really speaks to people understanding that. As in like, if we're going to get someone to buy into this, we have to really get, we have to really get to a place where it's like, okay, I feel so I can talk to you. And the biggest way we feel we can talk to people is, oh, you black, I'm black. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, this this going to be a report. No, nah, yeah, no, no, that's happening for real. And the other point of that is, keep board, uh, laid it out so eloquently, it's more so like, people get it you know they want to be able to connect like they want to be able to come to you and see a face that's familiar like they don't want to have their experience invalidated so what mm-hmm. i mean is that people have come to therapy and say you know i saw and it's nothing against you know clinicians of a different race but 
they'll come to therapy using this as an example, the, the getting pulled over example. You know, I was nervous. I was worried. He was being aggressive. You know, he was talking down to me. There's nothing more disheartening than your therapist going, well, did he really, though? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the, yeah, the thing yeah. is, is that they are being genuine mm-hmm. because they don't have that experience. Mm-hmm. Like, when they get pulled over, they get a, it's a different experience for them. Fashion. You know, they, they ain't getting yelled at. They ain't being told to get out of your car. They, they're, yeah. uh, their civil rights aren't being violated. Yeah. So they're coming from a genuine place with their curiosity. But like he said, there are certain situations where you're going to feel me. You're going to understand where I'm coming from. Oh, I can be my real self with this person because they're going to understand things. The flip side of that is also, to Keith's point, is that for our female clients we get, some of them just come to therapy because they want a male perspective of things. Mm. Or they want to just hear how we view reality with them and things like that. So that's why I say that it can work depending on who you're going to go see. You just got to look into them because we get a lot of male, female, teenage, and couple and family clients. Mm -hmm. So for all our female clients, they'll come to therapy and they're like, no, I just want to, you know, talk because well we hear this a lot yeah you look young <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you look yeah, young yeah. and also uh i want a male's perspective of things you know mm-hmm. i just want to make sure that I'm, I'm not getting a biased perspective that's why i say that what keith said was true any licensed clinician can help because the techniques are basic they're mm-hmm. the same but that ability to connect is different Factual. so that's why you want someone that looks like you and we can understand that so i'm gonna ask this question it's a little it's a little like like ten percent message. I do want to ask though. Okay, okay go ahead. What, how, how many male, male to female? How many do y'all see? Who comes more Ooh. to seek help? Which do you all experience come more to get help? I'm at a fifty fifty split. I actually looked at my case load the other day. <laughs> I'm at a fifty fifty split. Okay, okay. I get, okay. A, I get a lot of female and male. It's it's about equal. If it was in any favor, it'd probably be. No, it's. I want to say it's dead even. The last time I checked, it's, okay, it's dead even. More so, it's the age group that's um for my caseload. It's interesting. I have a really broad caseload. I have clients who are in their sixties, mm-hmm. and then I have clients as young as fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing where it's different because it's not the majority of them are millennials, mm-hmm. um, and the majority of them are dealing with work stress, stress, anxiety, depression relationships and connecting with people. Mm. So what they're coming for is more of an interesting uh, spectrum than male or female. But I personally, I have a, a 50-50 split between men and women. Respect, respect. He was saying that I was going through my case low right through my... <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you for answering first. Yeah, I, I looked at mine the other day. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. all right, yeah. I would have to agree with him. Um, I would say it is really a 50-50 good, split. Good, good. Um yeah. And I'm thankful for that on my side because it does give me a diversity of experience and a diversity of, uh, of opinions from clients because that's important, too, as a clinician. Um, but then, too, also, it always puts me in a place where I think to myself, like, you know, I always want to compare. Like, I'm wondering, like, okay, for, like, our white male or white female counterparts, how many black males do they have in their caseload? Because if they make up 50% of my caseload and your caseload, mm-hmm. I'm always thinking, I wonder how many of them – like uh, make up like that particular caseload, so, and I'm more so curious about that because if that is the case, then go back to the previous question: self identification is important, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if it does take more black men, which we're always advocating, yes. to become clinicians to get Definitely. more black men to come in for mental health services, sure. then that in itself is just worth it. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's a fifty-fifty split. Uh, I would say in my caseload, to give it a breakdown, I would say it's ninety-nine point nine percent black. Mm-hmm. And I only have like oh one client, white client that I work with. 
Um, 50% male, 50% female. Mm-hmm. Age range is very broad from, uh, I think my youngest client right now was 12. My eldest client right now is 59. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I have white clients on my caseload as well. Because the one thing we always say is that we can service everybody. Mm-hmm. We just specifically target the black community. And, and that's what I was saying earlier. Like, I love that about being... Like being pro, it's that whole conversation about being pro black doesn't mean anti anything. Oh, of course. That, that, yeah. that, that's that's what I was speaking on earlier. Mm-hmm. But now I know I gotta get ready to let y'all go. But now nah, you, nah, you, brought, fine, you brought up fine. another question, hey, man. You're fine. You're fine. So because you all's caseload is so wide, not specific examples, obviously to your client, but like, do you notice that some of the like, particularly with the young mm-hmm. parts and the very older parts, mm-hmm. are there a lot of older people working out some of the issues that you have to work with the teenagers are like? So, for instance, like my grand, my dad ish grandparents generation mm-hmm. didn't seek therapy, mm-hmm. yeah. and a lot of things that my dad or people of his age talk about are like from that age range. Mm-hmm. Do you all see a correlation from that generation who's starting to go now to deal with issues that aren't really recent, more so of their childhood think type thing? So, I'm asking, like, do you see those comparisons? If there is one, there may not be. No, I got you. In therapy, you're. For everyone, but to to the majority of people, actually. No, I'm going to say everyone. I I can stand ten toes down on it. But to your question, your past is going to come up. There ain't no way around it, right? Gotcha. So it comes up because the family is the first component of you being able to interact with other people. You learn how to be social in the household first. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, the household environment is very important because how you interact with your mom and dad and your siblings is you're going to take that and go out into the world. And what's mm-hmm. going to happen is you're going to get feedback from the world as to whether this is appropriate or it's not appropriate, and then you're going to tweak it, right? Mm-hmm. So there are clients, like I'm thinking of my older clients, who go back to their childhood mm-hmm. and they've been traumatized by it. Mm-hmm. You know, sexual assault, sexual abuse, aggression, violence. They noticed that their family is uh, very judgmental and things like that, and they saw that they carried that same trauma or that mindset in their bodies and in their mind all the way up until they're older. So they go mm-hmm. back and they do want to talk about it because, yeah. you know, they, they start to see that, well, where did this come from? Like, why do I look at the world this way? Why do I look at it that gotcha. way? With the teenage clients now, yes, they're, they get to unpack, well, why do me and my mom argue so much? Got you. you know, why are me yeah. and my dad closer than me and my mom? Or what? You know, I don't know my dad, and that kind of sucks. Like I don't know how to navigate the world as a man. Got so you. they, to answer your question, when you're older, yes, you will inevitably go back. Because mm-hmm. one thing I've learned, this is my experience with working with black people, because there are theories out there that tell you you don't need to talk about your past, right? Hence the cultural difference between mm-hmm. white and black people. Um, when I say theories, I mean this to give it context. The difference between talking to your therapist and talking to your friends is that friends, while they're good, they're definitely good and you should have them, friends have a way of making it about them yeah, <laughs> and yeah. not about you. Yeah, so they'd be yeah, like, you yeah, know, man, yeah. I would have did this, or girl, I would have did this, yeah, and that, yeah, and the third. Yeah. And also, we have a theory, which is a guiding roadmap to get you to healing, right? Mm-hmm. I want to say that first. There are some theories out there that don't want to look at your past as a real problem because they don't see no healing from your past. I have a standpoint that, no, I think that that's a big part, especially of the black experience, because everything that we eat mentally is based upon a, a white standard of living. Mm-hmm. You know, 
the American culture, when you go to school, when you learn about world history, you only learn about Europe and Asia. Yeah, you ain't right. learning about yeah. the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. I say that to give context of, yes, you're going to go back to your past in mm-hmm. therapy because every black person that I've helped, it always goes, well, why am I like this? Because we got to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, mm-hmm. well, what was your up, what was your upbringing? You know, mm-hmm. like what was your interaction with your family like? What was the interaction with your friends like? What was interactions like in high school and college? So to answer your question, both ends of the spectrum, the young and the old, they always talk about their teenage experience, and teenagers talk about their teenage experience now with their family. And to piggyback off of that, it's also kind of having to put that into context in the sense of we're talking about like lifespan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So if I'm 65 coming to therapy. I'm in a place in my life where I'm probably doing a lot of reflection. For sure. As in, like, as mm-hmm. our dad likes to tell us, I got more time behind, behind me, me than I got ahead of me. Yeah, for sure. So how could you not look at that? Yes. You, you do. You you get to a place in your life where you get closer to it possibly coming to an end, whenever that is. And you start thinking about, like, okay, so what has this life been? What have I done with it? You start really kind of thinking about the relationships that you had, uh, maybe thinking maybe I should make different decisions, or mm-hmm. how that comes to this place in my life where maybe I'm older and I'm feeling disconnected to my kids, or I'm feeling disconnected to my spouse. You go through your life inventory because that is the richest pool that you have. Don't get me wrong, your present is rich, but mm-hmm. your present is a result of the past. For sure. And the longer that you've been, long as you've been alive, the deeper that pool kind of goes. And so you really want to kind of figure out, like, okay, at what point did this shift? At what point did this start that kind of maybe created this like chain reaction to where I am today? Mm-hmm. Torres, so when you're younger, you are very present oriented because if I'm 16, I only have 16 years. That does not minimize those 16 years, but I only have 16, not to mention where you are in your uh, development mentally. It really is very much here and now present based. Mm-hmm. Torres, though, so when you're older and that frontal lobe has developed and you have a little bit more wisdom mm-hmm. and time underneath your belt, you do think about life in the span of time versus when you're younger is more so moments. Yeah. And interactions and connections. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he brought up an interesting thing. Um, one thing I noticed with my older clients is that, well, honestly, not with my older clients, because I was about to say it was wrong. When it comes to black people, I notice it more with my older clients because what Keith said that made me think about it was our dad saying I got more time behind me than ahead of me. Mm. Uh, the concept of God comes up a lot, especially in, around that group. But mm. I've noticed across my entire caseload with the people I help, God comes up, and the reason why I brought that up is because um, going back to the cultural mindset between, you know, the difference between black therapists and white therapists is that black people are very spiritual. Mm-hmm. I don't care what religion they or, or spirituality they identify with. It's going to, at least in my experience, maybe it's mm-hmm. because of what my profile states, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it comes up in therapy. Black people all, you know, we could be different race. We could be. I'm not different race. We could be different uh, beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu. It don't matter. When we come together to eat, regardless of our race, we're gonna go. All right, who who about to bless this food? Factual. That's just what's gonna happen. That's yeah. just that's not the as co- real though. That's who's gonna bless. Now we gonna might debate about mm-hmm. who's uh-huh. blessing it. Yeah, <laughs> like it's Allah or yeah, Jesus. Yeah. You know, or, Bo- or Buddha gonna bless yeah, they this all food. Come. But we all gonna bless this food. Yeah. And I think that that is a, a big proponent that's not taught. Like you'll find it in um, clinicians who go to seminary, right? Mm-hmm. Like they'll go to seminary and they'll go over, you know, the Bible and how to incorporate it into therapy. But him him saying that made me think that made me realize that 
whether they're teenagers all the way up in age to the 60s, the concept of God and their beliefs of reality are going to come into play. For sure, for sure. Man, I ain't, I'll have y'all here all day, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, we go, we go, go right there. I just, yo, brothers, what y'all doing is dope. You know, hopefully this is the first of many, man. Appreciate y'all coming through. Of course. Check these brothers out. See what, uh, tell everybody where they can find you really quickly. So make sure you. they get that. You can find us on IG and Facebook at Forest Therapeutics. Also, you can find us on our individual pages that uh, Professor B on IG and on uh, Facebook and on TikTok. And for Keith, go ahead, Keith, what are your uh, social media page? Well, my uh, social media page is just simple. It's this Instagram page called Mr. M.R. Lakeith Sutton, L-A-K-E-I-T-H-S-U-T-T-O-N. And also you can check out our website at www.foresttherapeutics.org. Yep, definitely go there. You'll learn a lot more about us on there. And if you like us, go ahead, give us a follow because you might not be able to find our names as they are right now because when we graduate and get our doctors, we definitely going to change the names, baby. We're going to change the names, baby. Gonna be a Doctor Brown, yeah, Doctor B on there. Talk to me nice, then. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Talk nice to me yeah. when I'm done. Please. Yeah, you feel me? You feel me, <laughs> fellas? Appreciate y'all coming through, man. Millennials no versus the world. We out. All right. Yeah. Yo, yo, man. Appreciate, appreciate y'all. Appreciate. We gonna get it. Yeah, we about to ride. NW to the 